Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. This fourth Sunday of Advent, Klaus Potsch will continue his series through the book of Daniel. Looking into chapter 9, we will learn more about the Jews' time of exile in Babylon and the waiting to return to their home country. As we learn more about Daniel's interaction with God and prophecies about the time spans, how do these events and prophecies even relate to Christmas and the times in the future? Well, here is Klaus. words as a footnote to the last sermon. When you prepare for interpreting the scripture, especially prophecies, you go into commentaries and you find out how many different views there are in terms of what this or that sentence means. And sometimes you think, oh, this commentator doesn't even touch on this half phrase or phrase. Guess what? He's insecure, he doesn't know what it means, and he was just want, wants to appear that he knows everything. I am not doing that, and I will tell you where some difficulties are. And also, I have to apologize. Last time I announced to tell you a story, which I didn't. I can't do it now because it doesn't fit. So, Lord, thank you for like, giving us a window through which we can look into the future. Thank you for giving us hints. Thank you for giving us people who have studied that in depth and from which I could draw the experience and how to interpret and present your words to the congregation here. So, here comes the story. During the last stages of the Russian Civil War that followed the Russian Revolution in 1917, there was the fight between the Red Army, the communists, and the White Army, the monarchists, which were a little bit disorganized. There were various groups, and they had no success. And finally, the White Army collapsed. And one of the generals who led one group of the White Army was Pyotr Nikolaevich Wrangel. He was a former Russian officer of the Baltic German origin, and he was the commanding, the commanding general of a southern group. When he had to retreat, he went with his soldiers to Istanbul. And there, I remember a movie about that topic. He stood, can you imagine, in his officer coat. This is a heavy coat, probably almost down to the, to the ankles. And with his hat, maybe it, it was a hat with a little brim in front, or it was, you know, this Persian, Persian fur hat, yeah, curly, and he was standing there looking north, always thinking, we've been there, when can we return? In the same situation Daniel had been, and he was standing at the river Euphrates, thinking, when can we return? Why did he ask this question? Of course, he was deported from Jerusalem when he was a teenager, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. And now it says, when you, when you look at the beginning of the text, it was the first year of the King Darius, the son of Artaxerxes. And this was already after the Medo-Persian army conquered Babylon. And this was in 539. So from, it was 46, no, sorry, 66 years from the deportation. And Daniel was probably 80 years old already, wise towards the end of his life. And he thought, well, I would like to know when all this captivity will end. It was on his heart. And he seeks clarity about the punishment, the exile, the distress, and his countrymen were experiencing. In lack of an internet where he could Google for when the time is due that uh, they could return, he remembered, oh, there was a guy in Jerusalem that I knew. His name was Jeremiah. I mean, they were contemporaneous, yeah? 
Jeremiah older than Daniel. And he wrote in his book, chapter 25, verse 11. And I will... This is an abbreviation. I will read the full text. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, were in the year around 609 B.C., which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirtieth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you haven't listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, but you have not listened or inclined to your ear to hear, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way, from the evil of your deeds, and dwell on the land which the Lord has given you, to you, and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the words of your hands, and I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, Lord in order that you might provoke me to anger with the word of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord. And I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone, the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Not a, it's a grim outlook, horrible. But more clearly, it says in Second Chronicles, 36.21 Those who have escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon and there were servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia we are already in the year where the Persians ruled in Babylon to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath and all the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Where were the, what were the accusations of the Lord? Remember when I read, um, what I read before, very often the word listen, you did not listen, came up. So they didn't listen to God. There were evil ways and deeds, mainly idolatry. And this from the Chronicle we see, um, portion we see that they didn't keep the Sabbath rest. When will be the 70 years over? When will we be delivered? It's like the children nowadays ask, Daddy, when will be Christmas? When will we finally have joy, lights, and presents and everything? Well, for 490 years, the Israelites neglected the Sabbath law when every seventh year should be, have been a year of rest. They didn't work, they didn't uh, sow, they didn't harvest, they used what, had, what the crops yielded the uh, previous six years. Israel started already neglecting the Sabbath in the year of the United Kingdom, because if you go back from 605, 490 years, you end up a thousand BC, and the division um, happened 926 BC into the northern and the southern kingdom. Well, this 20, uh, the 70 Sabbath years make up 490 years. Therefore, God's punishment was over 70 years of forced rest. The rest that they didn't observe, they had to observe now sitting in exile, doing nothing. They couldn't um, 
sow and um, harvest. But they were not only just the Sabbath rest, and I found, if you look here, more than two-thirds of a page are the accusations what the Israelites did not do. Sometimes, or did do, sometimes it's a sin to do something, sometimes it's a sin not to do something. And the question is, when, yeah, we've seen, we've seen this, and now, um, when did the 70 years start, and when will the 70 years be over? Well, either you talk about 70 years of dominance of the Babylonians, it started in 609 when they conquered Assyria, that would be, uh, this would in 609 to 539, this is when the Persians invaded Babylon, or just the exile, the first Jews left in 605 and the last and the first Jew left Babylon in uh, 536. Or 70 years of indignation on Jerusalem and Judah marked the destruction of the temple in 586. This was the year of the last deportation and starting to rebuild the temple in 516. So what I told you, there are different views about how to interpret Scripture. And the most popular is number two. When the people left Jerusalem and when they returned to Jerusalem. Well, Israel is in the pits. She was presented with a bill on how to make things straight. Daniel will show what works then and what will work now with us. So, the whole chapter is divided into two parts. Part one is Daniel's prayer, his question, and then part two is God's answer. And I remember there was a, was a, um, a movie where, Daniel, uh, where Tobias Moretti played a Catholic priest in a, in a small country community, and there was a chapel. It was packed full. And he knew that something went wrong in the community and did what he said, on your knees now. You know his expression of his face, pretty expressive. And this is the same thing what Daniel did. When you talk to God, you have to go first on your knees. The Catholic churches have pews where you can kneel. We, we don't have that here, we just sit. Yeah? But please get sometimes mentally on your knees before God. And what does the scripture say? So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him in prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. So, the one person who asks or presents supplication, he has to be in a humble state, sackcloth and ashes. Well, not everybody has a, a stove at home where he burns wood, where he can get ashes, but it could be figurative. Yeah? At that time, they really got in sackcloth, potato bags and so on, you know, this coarse fabric, and then put um, ashes on the head so that everybody knew, okay, this person um, is now in prayer and in, um, in humility. But what follows now is a nice chiasm. Therefore, you will see that I com combined always two verses that are a little bit apart, but they have something in common. They have sinned. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. And the next verse, indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. And then they ignored his voice, the prophets. We have, moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke your name to your kings, to our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. For we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teaching, 
which he said before as his servants, the prophets. But God deserves better than not listening to him. Righteousness belongs to you, O God. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. And therefore, there is shame on us. But to op us open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are ne nearby and those who are far away. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. You see, there's always a word that connects verses, like in the last word, it was shame. Now we come to the heart of the confession, the summary, the reason for the exile. In all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. He said it clearly. Your unfaithful deeds were the reason for the exile. Then it calls on God's former acts of deliverance. Yeah? Israel was already delivered from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, the bondage. And now comes Daniel's supplication. It's another nice structure. We do the same thing. Let, you, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. And presenting my supplication before the Lord God in behalf of the holy mountain of God. What is Daniel doing? He said, Lord, Jerusalem is your city. You cannot leave and abandon your city. Where the holy temple was. Although, was, yeah? 586, the temple was destroyed. And the next... The sins of God's people had led to the desolation and to God's anger. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our father Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. And confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. And he's praying earnestly. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Now, while I was speaking and praying, yeah, God, Daniel asked God to look at the desolation. The desolation has happened. No question about it. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation at the city which is called by your name. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, Oh, my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. So Daniel directs God's attention to himself, to God. He said, be true to your character. Do something. Let your name be ashamed and let your name be ridiculed by other nations outside of Israel. The basis of Daniel's supplications is verse 18b. And Daniel comes with boldness to God, yeah? Like in Hebrew 4, Hebrews 4.16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is what Daniel does, coming boldly to God's throne with supplication. For we are not presenting our supplication before you on account of any merits of our own but on account of your great compassion. We have a loving God. Daniel calls on the love of God, on his compassion. He, we are your people, Lord. Don't, don't leave us alone. Yeah, please have compassion with us. And while Daniel was still praying, God heard the prayer instantly. We know that happens with our prayers as well, but sometimes there's no reaction. The same happened here with Daniel, because we will find out that he was waiting and waiting, and no, no answer was coming. And there was a reason for that, because the messenger, the angel Gabriel, Archangel Gabriel, had to fight the prince of Persia. There are forces outside in the spiritual world we have no idea about. And sometimes I wonder, what is the force that is responsible for Austria. 
What does this force do and what is it like? Well, there's no hint in the scripture, so we only can pray, Lord, please make the protector of Austria strong. I've noticed not very often congregations pray for Austria. We, we have to do that because if you look what happens and, and uh, what's developing in our inner politics, I think there's a need of pr for prayer. So, I will read them. Um, you know, sometimes I think I'm... I wouldn't say I have a curse on me, but I have a problem. I remember when I was writing my dissertation, I finished it, and then I started to look into a problem, and I said, okay, this is a problem, and my outcome is different to what the textbooks say. And I always end up with old problems, reinterpreting the old problems. <laughs> and fortunately, I could overturn a theory that was 40 years old. But, and here the same thing is, Daniel receives an answer. And as I said, remember when I preached on Habakkuk? I read in one of the commentaries, oh, chapter 3 is one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible. Now here, I read verses 24 to 27 is one of the diff most difficult verses in prophecy. You will see why, but I can, we, the commentators and the specialists, have come up with an answer that is plausible. So here's the, I read the whole thing, the whole um, 24 to 27. Seventy years have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, the one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So the interesting thing is, Daniel asks for the question, when will the exile be over? Very precise question. What does he get? A broader answer. In fact, I will give you the answer now. He gets the answer, when will there be end of sin? And Daniel is the only book in the Old Testament that has a prophecy that starts in, let's say, at least in 539 and goes to the end of times. This little portion is heavy. So, and, the whole, and there are three options, yeah? One, when will the exile will be over? When will there be deliverance? It will happen at the end of uh, 77. But God gives Daniel a bigger picture. When will sin be over? The slavery to sin, when will this be over? After 77. Now, what does that mean? Hebrews think in sevens. Creation week, yeah? Seven days, six days work, one day rest, makes seven. And it's called, this unit is called Shabuah, having a connotation of completion. So, there's a unit of seven days, the week. And there's the unit of seven years, which ends with a Sabbath year. The week ended with a Sabbath day. Now, here with the seventh year. 
and the period of rest, and the seven Sabbath years end with the 50th year, which is the year of Jubilee. Also nothing to work. And the slaves are free, and so on. That's our, no, don't count anymore. And additionally, the number 70 plays a major role in this chapter. To make the meaning of 70 clear to us, well, we now we understand what 7 means. Now, what is 70 means? You wonder, now, do they have a, now comes the mathematician, do they have a, a number system that is based on 7, like we have the number system based, based on 2, 4, 8, 16, yeah, in computing 7, or when you look at the language, German and English language, there's a number system behind it that is based on 12. 11, 12, and it comes 13. It's not 1 teen, 2 teen, 13. It's 11, 12. So this comes, I think, from the Babylonians. But coming back to 70, what does that mean? It's a, we look into the New Testament, and in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 22, Peter asks how often he has to forgive. And he thinks seven times. That's complete, yeah? And But Jesus answers 70 times seven. That means a lot. 70 means a lot. It's a long stretch. Enough, sufficient, complete. And now we come back to our Old Testament text with seven the unobserved Sabbath years, Israel stepped out of line, sinned enough. The exile in Babylon will be enough, and the final deliverance will be complete. So this is why there's the number 70. So much for the small picture. Now the bigger picture. When will the countdown start? Many people are interested when the prophecies will come true. Look, in retrospect, we all know, okay, this prophecy is fulfilled. It worked. Great. Praise the Lord. He's faithful. He's true to his word. But sometimes some things are in the future, and we want to know when this will be happened. But it's not so precise or so um, clear for us to see. But once this will happen, we say, okay, praise the Lord. You were right. And, well... First of all, we have to focus on a few points. And, yeah. Now, in, the, in verse 24, what do we read? There are three negative things. First, the finish of the transgressions. The persistence of sin needs to be dealt with. Sin is always in our bones, in our nature. So, finish the transgressions so we don't we don't sin anymore, but that doesn't mean that sin is taken care of. To make an end of sin, yeah, deal with sin. This is to seal up the disobedience with a view to punish and to remove it. And to make atonement for iniquity. You know, uh, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, was the highest festive day of the Jews. Normally, it's, it's in October, and the Arab nations one day dared to attack Israel on that day, Yom Kippur War. I think it was the second war um, that they fought. It's an actual application of Christ's death associated with the second coming. And next, the next group of three is, please, forward. Thank you. It's the beginning of bliss. Bring everlasting righteousness. We are made right with God. There's no sin. Yeah, we can be in the presence of God. Otherwise, without righteousness, we couldn't do that. This will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. And second, to seal up the vision and prophecy. You wouldn't believe it, but the canon of the Old Testament was in that time finished, sealed up. There will be no visions, no more books, no more prophecies in the Old Testament. And the anointing of the most holy place. Most holy place is the temple where God resides with, among men. 
So the 70 weeks should be translated as 77s. The time of the years otherwise doesn't make sense. And the time span of 77s is split into 7, 3 times 20, 3 score, plus 2 and 1, 7. This makes 79, uh, 69 and 7, plus 60, sorry, the split of 69 in 7 plus 62 plus 1 is not explained why this is divided up. Don't know. The prophecy deals with the Israelites and Jerusalem only. It doesn't have to do with the surrounding nations, with the, with the Gentiles. It's just Israel. The focus is on Israel here. And the counting starts, mind the text, the issue of the commandment or decree. There are actually four decrees mentioned in Scripture. There was Cyrus the Great. The concern of this decree was the temple. Return of Israelites started. Then Darius I confirmed the previous decree. And Artaxerxes Longimanus provided the financial backup. It's interesting. Longimanus is long arm. Interesting. I associated this with something else. There's a second figure in history that's called long arm. Yuri Dolgoruki, the founder of Moscow, 1152. Yeah. So, and, but the attack sex is along in Manzo, March 5th, 444 BC, issued a decree, and we find this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. We don't read it. And this is rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem because the text, 20, um, verse 24, said it's not about the temple, it's when Jerusalem will be start to be rebuilt. And the next remarkable point is, let's start when this is fulfilled. So we have the exact day of, of, um, of the issue of the decree in Nehemiah, and then we have to start to calculate. Yes. So, if we um, come up with them, um, first we have to know when, when prophecy talks in years, it's in years of... Um, a prophetic year has 30 days. If we go into the, la the later chapters of Daniel 11 and 12, you find out you have to calculate with 30-day months and also in Revelation. It's interesting, the difference, because it's a lunar calendar. But the, the, the secular lunar calendar to make up to the solar kennel that they have to fill in now and then a month and a few days. So, we have 69 times 7 times 360 days makes up 173,888 um, days. And now, and from the let's see when this will happen. And so, we'll look how many days do we have until the year zero? There's no year zero. There's just a point in time where it's zero. It's a point. And we know that this is 162,060 days. Then we have to deduct 65 days from the beginning of the year 444. Then we have to have leap years because the year 1 BC was a leap year. So we have 111 leap years and these days. And every century we don't celebrate or have a leap day, a leap year. So minus 3. So we end up with 162, 103 days before Christ BC. And now the total year is A.D., Anno Domini. It's 11,777. And we have to a little bit guess how many years. We have to do in, 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 in uh, computing. You do an integer division. By 365, you come up with 32. And then there are 96 days left. We have eight leap days, and the rest days is 89. And we end up... March 
30th in the year 33. This is when, what did we read? That it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in the time of distress. Plaza is in the, inside the city. The moat is a fortification, is talking about the outside protection. And the time of distress doesn't mean it's at the end of the 69 weeks. It could be in the beginning, and it's in the beginning, read Nehemiah. We had a series of sermons in Nehemiah. There was constant opposition during that time. So, and then in verse 25, we see Jerusalem is rebuilt and the Messiah, the Prince, appears. And if you look at the text, you will find out that twice is a prince mentioned, the first prince with a capital P and the second one without a capital P. In Hebrew, there is no capital letters or normal letters. They're just normal letters. There's one size. So this is, give an idea, this is already an interpretation of the translators. And... I hope I don't get lost in my notes. Yeah, this, this is when everything is complete. So on this day, this is the day when Jesus, March 30th, when Jesus entered Jerusalem. And what happened there? He rode in on a donkey, yeah? Not on a horse, on a donkey. And what did the masses say? Please help me, you should know that. Hail the king, the one who is coming in the name of the Lord. So, the Messiah came now as the king. And if you look at the words here, you, um, some translations you will find when it says the prince... It's a governor. It's a ruler. It's a prince also is someone who owns land and so on. The question is now, going back to the previous sermon, is this the start of God's kingdom? Yes or no? I have to admit, I cannot tell. I'm not such a, a, a Bible knowledge person or prophecy specialist. The kingdom was offered. Remember John the Baptist said, repent, start rethinking the kingdom of God is at hand. That at hand, that doesn't mean it's already installed in, in working. When Jesus came and he was presented as the king and everybody, I mean the masses applauded to the king, was this that his kingdom, in that case, I would say the spiritual kingdom started, yes or no? Please make up yourself. But that was happened. And then you have to be, sometimes everything is uh, depending on one word. Because it said, where is mine? Well, it said, after the, the 69 weeks are completed, after, it doesn't go on and said, now, in the 70th week, this will happen. No, after. And what is that? This is a gap. This is still the age of the Gentiles, the church age. And the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. So, cut off the next problem. You look into the commentaries. One say means the Messiah was killed. Or some one person I found out said the Messiah. And I look up, if you look up the, the words in concordance, it's a little bit tricky to cut off. They're 
different words used. But if you use, look for the same word that it used here in other places, you come up, there's about separated could mean, could mean in 53 cases and to cut off and kill or destroy could mean in 83 cases. So the majority would point to Messiah's death in this case. But the problem is, I don't know Hebrew. And very often, especially with prophecies and reading the Old Testament, it's very advisable or an advantage if you are Jewish, if you have know the Jewish culture and know what the Jews, what notation or connotation the special word carries. And I, you know, I'm married to an American and sometimes we don't understand each other because I know the English word, I know what it means, but for my wife it has a different connotation, side effect. So for a non-native speaker, it's sometimes difficult if you, in case you don't speak Jewish, uh, Hebrew, what this actually means now. But the majority said he was killed because the death on the cross is such, theologically, such a crucial event that this should be mentioned here. But separated, I can give you a little story since I was uh, illustration. Story illustrators are always nice to, to listen to. I remember I was in the States one of, on my first visit in, in 80, uh, 1980 and in the church service, a guy gave his testimony. He was a successful businessman, and he was Jewish. And his wife and his daughter, not, they were Christians, and he drove his wife and his daughter seven years to the service, sat outside, and waited. After seven years, he surrendered his life to the Lord, and guess what happened? His family celebrated his funeral. Separation. You can talk about anti-Semitism and whatever. Anti-Semitism is not in place at all. I feel sorry for Jews who do not see the Messiah. It's clearly here stated that it happened already. The Messiah appeared, and he was cut off. And there are Torah schools and whatever. They study the Bible. Don't they get the meaning? I don't, I don't understand that. But let's continue. Well, after the 69th, 7, another important event happened. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And because in 70 AD, the Romans marched into Palestine, into Israel, besieged Jerusalem with a huge army, and after conquering, destroyed the city utterly and the temple as well. And this is the prince who is to come. Prince, do we find in the New Testament a hint to the prince who that is? The prince who is to come. It's a ruler that who is to come. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the son of disobedience, sons of disobedience. It's, practically speaking, the Antichrist. And the Antichrist in that case was in the disguise or in the person of the general. I mean, the Romans, the, the emperor in Rome was Vespasian and his son was the, uh, the general who um, was leading the campaign. It was Titus and from which uh, the famous words came carpe diem. Um, use the day or, yeah. We get a hint there's a prince to come, and that is Rome, a modern Babylon, and a city that is marked in Revelation. 
In Revelation 17.9 talks about a woman sitting on seven mountains. Rome is known to rest on seven hills or seven mountains. So this is also a little hint what, what could be meant here. And from this time on, the future starts from our point of view. So far we can say, okay, this was already fulfilled. Palm Sunday happened. Great, it was announced. We know exactly March 30th. In the year 33, great, praise the Lord. But now, from now on, it's for us. What's coming now is in the future. We, know, we do not know how long the gap will last. So far, it lasted 2,000, almost 2,000 years, because if you um, count from Palm Sunday onwards, about, let's say 2,000 years, two millennia, a gap. When will the gap will end? Can't tell you. And the last week, the 70th seven will be terrible. In the New Testament, it's called the Great Tribulation. And he, the dominant personality, will make a firm covenant with many the Jews, for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrificing grain offering. So, first of all, he will make a covenant. So there are two parties making a covenant. And remember, in, last, uh, in chapter 2, we have the, the toesies, ten toes that are a mixture between Iron and ceramics. So, could be that these two materials, no matter how, who that is or what, there is a negotiation, a unity. They're making a treaty, a covenant. And in the middle of the week, the covenant will be broken. And, and he put, will put an end to sacrifices and oblations. That means sacrifices require a temple. So a temple has to be rebuilt. Just picture that, what this would, would mean now. How, what great the hatred is between the Arabs and the Jews. And the Arabs have, have, have a, their temple, the Dome of Rocks, sitting where the temple of the Jews was. So you have to get the Dome of Rocks away. You have to build the temple. And what will happen around them? I can't imagine. I cannot imagine what will happen and how this will be accomplished. But the temple will be there because the sacrifices that would go on for three and a half years will be stopped. And in the wing of abominations, the massive abominations will come one who makes desolate, one who can only destroy. That's Christ's adversary, the Antichrist. And during the last seven years, Christ himself talks about the coming of a desecration in the future. There was already a temple. Yeah, The Jews um, finished building the temple after the, ex uh, the exile. And there were abominations in the time between their return and Christ. There was already an abomination. But this is not meant. The abomination that's talked about here will happen in the future. And we'll see this in Daniel chapter 11 as well. Although the desecration of the temple happened in BC already, a second one will follow. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So this is a first at a time to understand this sentence because you have to rearrange the parts of this, of, of the sentence to understand that the complete destruction is not talking about the temple. It's about the person who makes the desolations, the abominations. And it is decreed. That's the positive thing about it. The person who is responsible for the sins, for the abomination, will be utterly destroyed, dealt with, finito. So, 
we're done more or less with the interpretation. Now we have to think a little bit. The question is, why does Daniel get more information than he was asking for? Well, my, my guess is it's, the answer wasn't only for Daniel. It was also for us. And why is the message so cryptic? Maybe it's just cryptic to us. As I mentioned before, the Jewish culture may read more into it, understand more than I do. But in summary, in summing up, I would say this chapter is meant to give his people an outline of their future because it deals just with Israel. The, seven, the sevens, the weeks, just pertain to the Jewish people. The gap is not explained, nothing that would be Gentiles, that would be us. And one has to understand a little bit more of the culture. And again, there is a nice structure. 70 times 7 years of sinning, 70 years of exile, and 70 times 7 weeks waiting for the end of sin. And now to the practical lessons. No sermon should end without that. So I hope I can fulfill that. And as one said, no sermon is a sermon unless you, you mention Jesus. I mentioned Jesus already. The Messiah came and was crucified. So we know where his um, earthly presence fits into the whole picture. So, practical part. If you want God to answer your prayer, first confess your sins. You know, there's probably you were taught how to pray with the acronym ACTS, adoration, confession, uh, thanksgiving, and supplication. Yeah? So, God promised to forgive you on the basis of calling on Jesus' name. The, uh, the cleanses you and makes you able to approach God on his throne. Count on God's acts of deliverance in the past. This is our hope, that he will keep his word, his character will change. He delivered once in the past, several times in the past, the Israelites. He will deliver us also from sin. We have the deliverance if we believe in Jesus, in his death, we are made righteous. The base of your supplication is his compassion. Your merits will not count. Daniel says it's not on account of our merits, just his compassion. And God's answer may be cryptic. Try not to miss the meaning. And now the final Christ, Christmas is coming. So thank you very much. <laughs>